me man the bigger the game i'll let the tune play longer hockey uh, hockey uh, elbows up uh, smelling salt stevie do the smelling salts before the show we're ready get in there checking line i get that you know i've often thought about that it, at, at the end of a hockey player's career does he have nasal issues i mean that I've never done smelling sauce. How, how rugged is that? Oh, it wakes you up. Oh, it it, it wakes you up. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm not sure how to describe it. It's like um, yeah, I don't want to mess uh, my my ammonia. Watch this. I don't want to mess my olfactories up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I love walking in the door at two thirty. Go. Oh, we're having tacos today, or it's chicken, or I smell this balsamic vinegar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't want to miss I, I, out on that. I don't know that you lose your sense. Well, I don't know. I, I just wonder what what goes on with the nasal cavity there after you know 15 years of of doing that on a nightly basis. All right, this is going to be good stuff. Great show. Dave Shane from the RJs joining us from Denver. Okay, brass tacks, the business at hand. All right, there's a lot. So Gatling gun, you ready? Mm-hmm. Feed yourself well. Buy one sub, get one free. John Smith subs. You want the hat trick special? A sub, fries, and a drink. Say Vegas Hockey Online, the hat trick special, 20% off. Adam S. Cutter, when they're on the power play, if they score, someone's winning ducats to a future Golden Knights game. And let's see how far this goes on when they're back home Thursday. Spin the wheel of Terrible Herbs, the $1,000 VGK game day giveaway. It's a great. Prize. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, make, just swing in, get a coffee, a little gas, whatever. But spin the wheel. Including an autographed puck, right? Autographed by somebody from the Yeah, night. there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Not fantastic. All right. And then the big boy tonight for us will be out at Sunset Station, Club Madrid. Game 5 hockey watch party. We did it during the Wild Series. It was a home game. And crowd was really good. But I had a bunch of people say, I'd come, but I'm going to the game. Because we we said let's do the home game because it was a smaller crowd, right? But by then I think they got it up to eleven thousand. Yeah. All right, now it's a road game. This is going to be a zoo tonight. This is going to be great fun, great prize giveaways throughout the course of the night. Power Play Sports has all kinds of cool VGK memorabilia we'll be giving away. But it's great fun. Come on out, game five. You're looking for somewhere to go to watch the game. Sunset Station. We are going to have a ball. Did, did you say something about a Mark Stone stick? Yeah, they got a, a special thing going on if you sign up for the STN mobile app. Uh, you get a bottle of VGK wine. I mean, you get the money in the account and you bet. I mean, it's your money. Uh-huh. But you're then, if you sign up, you're in a drawing for the Mark Stone stick. And there's, you know, realistically, going to be five, six, seven people sign up for the app. You got a chance to get the app, be able to bet the games, right, so and you're in the drawing for the Mark Stone stick. So for you, in promoting, just be careful. If you if you hold that thing up in the air, it's going to attract pucks like a magnet. 
Right. All it's probably Mark, all dented. All Mark Stone sticks uh, attract pucks like mangoes. So get one, get yourself one of those shiny helmets just in case. All right. We always play the game of where's Waldo when it comes to <laughs> Dave Shane. I mean, we know he's in Denver, but the thing is, what circuitous route or route? What is it? Route or route? Either he, or? Uh, either or. Either or? He could be in Aurora. <laughs> he could be in Aurora but, right now. But, but I got a, a text from him yesterday. He says, I hope your trip was well. And it was basically the tri- text back was, it was not. What? What? I, I could see the angst the way you typed it in a text. How bad was the trip there? Ooh. Um, definitely ranked in the top five of probably worst travel days, to be Yikes. quite honest. Um, I mean, I'm always grateful to be on the road and safe and all of that. Thank you to the uh, airlines. But yesterday was one of those Murphy's Law if it could go wrong, it was going to go wrong. Well, we saw right the tornado. The we saw the tornado. Yeah. So th- is that the beginning of it? No, it actually started even before that because <laughs> our plane was supposed to leave <laughs> uh, McCarran at like one fifteen, and it got pulled off for like mechanical issues. So we had to wait for like two hours uh, just to get onto the plane and get going to the first stop. And then all of the tornado stuff happened and delayed, you know, whatever. And there were things once we got here in Denver and then trying to pick up some more folks at like 11 at night. You figure, ah, nobody's at the airport. It'll be a breeze. Nope, nope. It was like a 45-minute wait in line just to get into like the passenger pickup area to get uh, Ben Goats and Egg Granny. So by the time we got back to the hotel... And everybody was trying to get food in their bellies, and there was nothing open, and all of that. Yeah, it was, it was a frustrating evening. Let's just put it like that. Well, the travails of the modern day beat writer. Uh, it is. It comes. Yeah. It, it, it comes with the territory. The crazy thing is, Dave. I am old enough to remember the days when the teams used to fly commercial. And, and huh? I mean, you you could be going up there for a pivotal fifth game, and you know. <laughs> they, back back in the day, they didn't. Many of them didn't have their own team plane. Well, do you remember a couple of years ago, um, the Golden Knights coming out of the All Star break played in Carolina, and if you remember, I believe it was Manny Lagasse got the start that night. Flurry was somewhere. Andre yeah, Flurry. Well, he was on my plane uh, flying to uh, Carolina. I can tell you that because I. <laughs> I locked eyes with him at one point. He kind of gave me that, like, kind of what's up nod and, and kind of almost, you know, tried to. And then he kind of pulled his hat down a little bit. You didn't see me. To, you didn't see me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wondered how many people kind of spotted him. I, I, I know he got spotted in the airport once we were there. Um, and not, like, by a lot of people or anything. But uh, I, I did think that was funny that Mark andre Fleury was playing commercial. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like Dave a lot. He's very intelligent. He's very funny. But if, if here, he, here, if, here comes the but, Dave. If he ever invites me on any trip anywhere, I'm not going. It just it's too much, Dave. I and yeah, I, just, I, know, somehow, I tend uh, to I tend to attract disaster. Well, I spent twenty. Well, where was the? Was it was it Denver or? I think it wasn't it. Was it? 
or no, it was in Anaheim. The one night I was on the phone with you for a half an hour, and you're driving. I can see the whole. T- you're like crying on the phone. No, that was I, Denver. I can see no, the. I can see the hotel, but I can't get there. There's a construction, and, and you missed the turn yeah. four different times. Four, four, about three or four times. Yeah, that was Denver. That was right around the corner from here. <laughs> I got, I got, I got it now. Though I got it nailed. I'm good. The yeah. only, the only problem is the freeway is all jacked up. So, so we, we had to like go a different direction. Like my best laid plans here was we're staying in a in an area of Denver that cuts off a good chunk of the trip out to the airport. Yeah. Because when you're flying out in the morning, every little minute of sleep uh, counts. So rather than coming from downtown. We're kind of, you know, about halfway-ish or whatever. Um, and it's an easy it's an easy trip into the arena. You just jump on the freeway, you go downtown, you get off and, you know, make a left turn, and boom, you're right, you know, pretty much right there. Uh, except for the freeway's all torn up. So now we got to take side streets and all that stuff. So, yeah, Stevie, yeah, I, like, yeah, I, I tend to, to attack or attract disaster on this trip. I used to always something. I used to live that life, and was good at booking the flights and all this. And, 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 and believe me, there's a there's a, an art form to it. Um, the thing I can really help you with, though, Dave, is the per diem. So you know, when you really get stuck and you need creativity on the per diem, I got your back. There, all there right. is. Well, I'll hit you up for that. <laughs> there is money to be made. I've been, here, I've, though, been, Dave. I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good over the years and figuring out how to uh, how to make that thing work. And, <laughs> you know. Squeeze in it, squeeze in a lobster tail well, every now and again. That, that's that's right. Yeah, I had a, I had a, you know, I had a half of a assorted sub one night and then a rack of lamb the next, and it all adds up yeah. to the same thing. Yeah, there you right. go. Right. All right, you just balance it out. So speaking of balancing out, it's two two in the series. Professional segue there. Well all right, I cannot believe David and I expect this tonight. Um, give Vegas full marks. Everything they're doing. I think Colorado keeps trying to skate through them in the neutral zone. And I would look for Bednar. It would seem to be, I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist, but now they'll get a bounce in their step. They're back home. This is a really good team. We know what it's looked like the last three. I'd expect a lot more from these guys tonight. But honestly, if I'm them, I start dumping the puck in and stop trying to skate through this kind of amoeba defense they've got. But Colorado keeps trying to skate through it. Dump it in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to change your identity on the fly. You know, they they are who they are a little bit. They're, you know, they're not a dump and chase team. That's not how they're built. Certainly, when you have a, you know, a line, a first line the way that they do, when you know all three of those guys are together, that's that's not necessarily their game. Um, it's an interesting sort of talking point, though, because I think it comes back to a little bit of the cliche and what is playoff hockey, and some of this is. You know, being able to, you know, figure out different ways to score. It's some of the same conversation, you know, in reverse that we had with the Knights, um, and and sort of their problems and and being stubborn about, you know, playing Vancouver and, and Dallas and not necessarily wanting to, you know, dump the puck in and go after it. But, you know, from from the Knights side of it, it's certainly that they've understood all along that that's the game plan. You know, against the the Avalanche, that's the blueprint. That's how they have to win. And and I think for Jared Bednar, it's it's a tough coaching thing to have to make an adjustment mid series and get these guys to essentially play 
you know, a different way because of what the Knights are presenting. But I agree with you in terms of they had that that's probably where they're going to be more successful. And I think, you know, especially their second, their third, their fourth lines, those are the lines that, that really need to, if you're the avalanche, get it in deep and try to establish some zone time. Because the last couple games, that's where I think the Knights have really just been the most successful is, it's almost just chewing up the clock, just just eating up zone time. And as long as the Knights are doing that and, and buzzing around, creating chances, Avalanche don't have the puck and they can't do anything with it. Hey, by the way, when you say playoff hockey, the games are different. I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting yesterday, about 10 months removed from it, that DeBoer brings up, when asked about Pacioretty, his impact coming back in the lineup, but DeBoer said that he had spoken to Pacioretty at the end of last year about certain facets of his game. You know, the, every coach does this on locker room cleanout. They work on this. We'd like you to do that. These are the things we're looking for as we give you the cliff notes evaluation and grade you out. But he said there were certain things I wanted him to work on or implement in his game to be effective at this time of year, speaking to how unique the brand of hockey is now. Yeah, plus I just think that's sort of the the long-standing criticism of Pacioretty, especially in Montreal in the playoffs, was, you know, basically staying on the perimeter and relying on his shot being better than, you know, 99.9% of the league in most cases. You know, it's, it got him that far, and Pete DeBoer talked about that and sort of, you know, I think he was almost, we were talking about this at lunch today, um, and I use this phrase, I think he was almost subtweeting um, Pacioretty with some of the comments because he's made it, you know, similar similar sentiments throughout the year, you know, about adding layers and, you know, being able to score in different ways, um, not being able to just, you know, rely on it. But that most guys that after, you know, X amount of years of having success that you ask them to change, and it's kind of like, eh. You know, why am I going to do that? I make X amount of money. I've had this amount of success. Like, you can't tell me, you know, something that's all of a sudden going to, you know, make me into, you know, a 40-goal score or whatever. I'm already a 35-plus goal score or whatever. Like, what's, what you know, what are you going to tell me, bud? And I, I'm, what I'm curious is, like, what did Pete DeBoer tell him? You know, like, how did he get through to him? What did he say? Because I'm sure every coach Patrick has ever had, has been on him about that. You need to get to the front of the net. You need to score from the slot and the crease area. You need to get deflections and tits and not just camp out in the circle and just blow away a goaltender. And that's what he's always done, or or do it off the rush. And we've seen it, and Pete DeBoer pointed this out in the series and in the playoffs um, to go back to you know, his goal against uh, Minnesota in Game 7 was you know, basically below the hash marks, right, right in the middle of the slot where he got the pass from Stevenson, and then he's got a tipping goal in this series, and then the goal off the rush. So, I mean, he's kind of showing the layers that Pete DeBoer wanted and, you know, that he's added. But it is kind of an interesting, um, I guess, phenomenon, or, or however you want to phrase it, that Patrick would be willing to, you know, do those things and add those things and recognize, you know, okay, at this time of year, like, that's where I have to get to to score. Stevie, I would imagine... That same conversation may have been had with Marge, so Carlson and Smith, 
because these guys are living around the blue paint. I mean, you think three, two of the three for March so the other night. I mean, you know, Carlson swats it out of midair, but Carlson's in the blue paint. The other one's a one-timer. But the third one, they're cycling, and he's hovering around the blue paint, backs off, gets a little working room, puts it in. I think that discussion was had with that line, too. Yeah, it, it, it seems like all four lines are, are, are getting to the front of the net, in, into the blue paint. Obviously, there's been emphasis from the coaches in this regard. They're, they are psyching the puck real well, real well here in the, in the past couple of games, as Dave mentioned. The other thing I've noticed, Dave, is that they are doing a much better job of getting it out of their own zone. There's, there's not the turnovers that Colorado can then capitalize on as they did in game one and stay in the Colorado offensive zone. What are the Knights doing differently that they're getting the puck out of their own zone so much cleaner here in the last three games? I don't know that it's anything different. I just think they're executing it better. And I'll specifically point out one guy is Alex Petrangelo. I think, and maybe it's just the last couple games. I don't know if it's the game flow or whatever. It seems like he's been more focused on the defensive end as opposed to trying to activate all the time. And he seems to be even a little bit less active, you know, on offense and and really, really, really concentrating you know, on his defensive responsibilities. I think he was, I I thought last game he was spectacular, I thought. Um, He's been really good so far, I think, you know, in the series. And that's one of the things, that's one of the selling points. Like you watch him get back to pucks and either get it to his partner, um, work, you know, working around the board, whatever he has to do, find the center who's swinging through real quick. Like that's always been one of Alex Petrangelo's greatest strengths is his ability to break out the puck, almost be a one-man breakout himself. And, you know, part of this, too, is, you know, the the avalanche not being able to establish a forecheck and what the Knights are doing, you know, in the neutral zone, um, where pucks are getting put to, and, and, you know, the Knights are essentially, in most cases, winning those races to pucks. And I think, you know, if I'm in Jared Bednar's shoes, you know, certainly one of the adjustments or just one of the things I'm emphasizing is for Colorado to get in on the forecheck harder, create some of the chaos um, and some of the turnovers that we saw from game one, you know, in the Knights. Now the Knights are in a different place in their game and in the series, you know, than they were coming in from that game one. But Colorado certainly had, you know, a lot to do with that and their forecheck and their pressure. Uh, but a lot of that's kind of been flipped around in the series. And, and, you know, I think it just kind of goes hand in hand. You know, in a lot of ways, like the team that's playing well, the team that's usually winning is breaking out of its zone clean and getting out on the rush and creating the way that it's comfortable creating. Hey, the one thing that's been noticeable to me, too. Okay, yeah, they slowed McKinnon down, Stevenson speed, and full marks on that. And they've gone first line against first line. That's worked. But the other thing that you can't discount over the course of a 60-minute game, Vegas getting the work down low, bringing the lunch pail to work. They're making McCarr and Gerard specifically play defense, and that takes a toll on these guys when they want to start wheeling and dealing and going coast to coast. I think they've really done a good job of identifying those two guys specifically. we got to make, because they're not the biggest guys in the world, wear them down. Well, I'd throw Taves in that conversation as well. He's not the biggest guy either, and he's a real smooth skating guy that, you know, when he has room and 
you know, feels comfortable, he's he's a dangerous guy. Um, I think a lot of that, you know, again, has to do with the forecheck. But, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with just the composition of the, the Avalanche defense. It's not Ryan Suter and it's not Spurgeon and Dumba and, you know, some of the guys that Minnesota has and, and some of the heavier, you know, defensive cores that you might face. I mean, those are all top guys who are not, like you said, big guy. You know, McCarr's what, maybe 5'11"? I mean, Gerard's maybe 5'10". Taves is, you know, a thinner guy. Um, you know, Graves is the one guy with size, you know, back there. Um, but they're built on mobility. And so I think, you know, especially what we talked about early in the, you know, in the show, like that's where the Knights have had success getting the puck in on them and grinding them down, wearing them down along the boards, you know, and then they have to physically push and shove. Like as a hockey player, one of the things like that wears you out, that makes you tired. It's not so much the skating, your conditions for the skating. It's when you have to add the pushing and the shoving and you're fighting through stuff and you're, you're battling along the boards and you're, you're using almost different muscles more than you're used to doing it. That's what wears you out. It's, it's not the skating and the leg. Like those, they're, those, are, those guys are fine for that. It's when they have to get in front of the net and push and shove and battle. You know, that's, that's grinding, and that's where the Knights are, are having success. And, and the longer this series goes, I think the better it is for, for the Knights because I think physically they're built for it more so than the Avalanche. Okay, it's Vegas Hockey and Dave Shane's joining us from the RJ from Denver. You're Welcome to chime in. You got a question for Dave Shane. Talk about the game tonight. 702-221-7283. 702-221-SAVE. Mike's on the line. Hi, Mike. Hi. Dave's just hoping it doesn't go seven games. Another trip to Denver could be the death of Dave's Dave. trying to figure out how to get to Montreal. <laughs> Good luck yeah. with that. <laughs> I know. No kidding, That's right? A- yeah, that's going to be a real circuitous route when they finally. I hope it happens. Just guys, debunk this because I know the diehard fans like myself will love to hear your you say I'm full of garbage on this one. But I do believe that Game Five and Game Six are equally important for VGK, and simply because with Cadre back and the home ice advantage, I don't see how we can win there in Game Seven. Do you? Yeah, I do. So I have a, I have a really strange feeling that that's the way that this series is going to go. Yep. That the Knights win here in seven. I don't know why I feel that way, but because I know a lot of what we were talking about here and some of the conversation has been that a lot of folks think the winner of this game wins in six. That that especially if the Knights get this game, that they go home, that there's no way that they're losing, and. Some other folks feel like if the Avalanche get this one that they're going to close it out. So for me to say that they can win in seven, I feel like I'm in the minority. But I don't know. Yeah, weird uh, weird clairvoyance or something. I, I, I don't know why I feel that way. <laughs> no, I mean... Well, when Pacioretty came back and we had all that momentum on our side and the return of patches, isn't that about similar to what Colorado is going to go through? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I feel like the effect that he has on the lineup is going to be a little bit different. The, the way that Pacioretty bumps tucked down to the third line and the way that that creates depth all of a sudden for the Knights, I feel like is a different effect. 
um, than what Kadri does. The one thing is, and we'll see how this plays out, is right now that Carlson line is feasting against everybody that they're playing against that isn't named McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen. And as long as that's going, that's where the one matchup maybe that in a game seven, if the if it gets there and that second line for the Knights continues, maybe that's where Kadri has an effect and, and could possibly slow them down in a matchup. I'm with you, Dave, about the game seven thing that both of these teams, no matter what happens tonight, the team that has to circles the wagon uh, is good enough to do it, you know, and then it, it gets decided at the end. The question is can Vegas win up there? I mean, listen. Colorado's record at home is ridiculous. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. But I would say this. If Vegas if Vegas won tonight, I think they better close it out at home. If they didn't win tonight and they held serve in game six, then I can see them going up there and taking it. It's one of those things like if you get the, if Vegas gets the opportunity to close them out at home, they better do it, but I mean, you can you, yeah. know, you can spin it the other way for them. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of the the I guess the problem with you know from the media standpoint is you know there's always a counterpoint to whatever you present in a seven game series. I do think there's certain paths though that make the most sense for a team that does not have home ice advantage, and if you hold serve and it's two two. You know, winning game five and then getting that home ice advantage and everything, you know, momentum in a series and all that going home is is probably the most, I guess, preferred route. You know, if, if you're that team, I think that's, you know, what Pete DeBoer would hope for. I mean, if you're going to look at it macro, like to win four straight against the Avalanche, I think is a, is a tough task, which is why I think it probably goes seven. But I'll just throw real quick to like, to all this is, you know, yeah, the Avalanche really good at home. It's twenty zero and one in the last twenty one, but the Knights won two of three here in the regular season, and one of them was in overtime, granted, and that's the one on that twenty and one record um, from March. But the Knights feel okay about how they play here in Denver. I think they felt Game One in a lot of respects is just a you know kind of a throwaway. You know, they took but, a shot by the way, don't goalie change. But and, don't don't you think these numbers? Like, hey, they're, they're impressive numbers. You got to beat who's in front of you. But any numbers you're throwing out this year, throw them out. They're skewed because it was this division format within a top-heavy division. Throw right, it out. Because in, in the last the last nine or ten games, the Avalanche were playing the Kings and the Sharks at home, and the Kings and the Sharks had absolutely nothing to play for, and it was very evident. Um, especially in the last couple games when Los Angeles was here, you know. So yeah, I, I think there's a little bit, you know, grain of salt you take with it. But you know, like I said, it, the Knights have a lot of confidence in their ability to win a game here. They feel like they played really well in Game Two, played well enough to win, put themselves in a position, hit you know three posts officially if you count. The one that Grubar got a piece of on March or so, and then it hit the post. That's four. Smith hit another one when the goal got knocked off. You know, right before it probably wouldn't have counted. So, you know, maybe five. You know, it was two-two going to overtime, and like I said, they won two of three here. So I feel like if they were to win a game six and come back here, that they would certainly feel good. You know, about their ability to win that game. Hey, let's talk about the development this morning. Looking like 
Yanmark in, Reeves out. Is that what we're looking for? Well, that's what it looked like from the press box. And yep. admittedly, I need new glasses, and we did not have binoculars. Um, no wonder you got an official confirmation. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> um, we got an official confirmation that Yanmark was on the ice, and that you know certainly did look like him. And you know, I put a picture out there on on Twitter. Um, and then Reeves stayed out with the scratches. And the other one that was out there was Coglin and Satura. Um, and Haig was also out with the scratches. So that would seem to indicate that Reeves would be out, Colasar would stay in, and that Holden would go back in for Nick Haig as well. Would there be one – it makes sense. And it's likely what's going to happen. Could it, could it be Reeves, again, missed those couple of games – just getting a little extra work in because he, he was away for a while. I mean, it could be. I think it's easier to play one game. You know, you're riding off adrenaline. You know, you, you come back and you play nine, ten minutes. I didn't look. I don't know his exact, you know, ice time and all of that. But I think, yeah, the first game, you know, you're pumped. You're ready to go. It's usually the second game that, you know, has a little bit of an effect. Maybe that's something that Pete DeBoer is, you know, considering with all of this. Maybe he's looking at the analytics like, you know, a lot of other people are. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe he feels like Keaton Colasar, you know, has earned his way, you know, into this lineup right now. Um, it's an inter- interesting sort of thought, um, you know, from Pete DeBoer on this. I, I certainly feel, you know, we didn't see it. the way that the media availability was structured today. He, he did his availability almost right away when the guys got on the ice. So we weren't able to see Ryan Reeves stay out and then ask him a question about it, that will be something that has to be asked later. And I'm interested to hear his answers, you know, I guess explanation for if and when Colasar is in there, why he decided to do that, what he felt like Colasar brought versus what Ryan Reeves wasn't bringing. Because to be quite honest, I thought the fourth line played pretty well in that last game. I thought he was buzzing around. I thought he had a couple chances. Um, well, there's, there's, know, there always was that the, there was the old time mindset. You just won five one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> but right, you know. I, well, I, and I think you know. I don't know. I mean, he knows his guys better than us. Maybe oh, I know. He just feels like he needs, you know, maybe some fresh legs. You know, if Yanmark is in there and has some fresh legs, um, you know, Holden has played real well in the in the playoffs. It's, I, I don't think you're, you know, you're, you're making a bold decision necessarily by sitting down somebody who is essentially a rookie. I don't think he's, a, you know, officially a rookie, but Haig is playing his first postseason, so you're sitting him down for a seasoned veteran. I don't think that's necessarily a bold decision. Um, you know, Ryan Reeves maybe a little bit more so if it's Colasar, but like, but, you know, but, just but going it, back but to it like was, the last game. But it was interesting, don't you think, though, that we were, t- we were all talking about it, how good Holden was playing, and he went back to Haig. So, I mean, he had confidence in the kid, and you know, whatever he he's got a read on on what's going there, and but Holden was playing terrific, and all of a sudden Hake popped in there, so and it worked. So give him full marks. Yeah, and I I was actually a little bit surprised to be quite honest at that point that he did take Holden out of the lineup, and that was a question that I asked this morning, and obviously without knowledge that it looks like Holden's going to go in, but just you know that a lot of coaches, you know, maybe in the playoffs aren't necessarily comfortable with one rookie you know, on their blue line, and effectively they're playing with two that are, you know, paired together no less. They're not even spread out. Like, he's putting 
a rookie pairing out there every time those two, you know, are on the ice. And they've done a pretty good job. He's obviously got confidence in them. But Nick, you know, Nick Holden, I thought, played well, played his way into the lineup. I didn't think he necessarily even deserved, you know, to come out when he did. But, you know, maybe that's the option and, and the depth they have a little bit at this point that, you know, they can go with some fresh legs. And, you know, here's the other thing, too, to consider is if you feel like you can shield Haig and White Cloud better at home with the last change. Yes. And you can't do that yeah. in Colorado, and you'd rather have Holden out there than, you know, maybe it makes a little, a little bit more sense if you get caught, you know, with the wrong line, the wrong pairing out there, that Holden will, will be okay. With the last change, what would you envision Bedmar, his big, his big thing is tonight with the last change? What would be the one thing you'd be really watching for? Well, I don't think he liked the way that they played in Vegas against essentially the Stone Stevenson Pacioretty line. I would look at the numbers, and certainly when I wrote about, you know, the Carlson line, and as I mentioned, they've dominated everybody, not named McKinnon, Rantman, and Lannistog. And if I'm Jared Bednar, I'm certainly looking at that and the numbers and maybe trying to match those two, you know, up, and, and that might be the best way to free up McKinnon. Certainly from the shot attempts in the Corsi and scoring chances and all that, it it plays out that way. I, You know, from the coaching standpoint, I think he's also probably looking at that going, well, that's the line for the Knights right now that's killing us. And they got seven of the 11 goals. March still had a hat trick the other night. So, you know, he's got sort of a dilemma, you know, of, of yeah, where does he want those guys, you know, to try to exploit the matchup and, and how can he do it? Hey. But then... If he's doing that, then all of a sudden that means Stone and Pacioretty and Stevenson are running wild maybe on the second and third line for the Colorado. And I think Pete DeBoer's probably okay with that. I could lose you here, but I don't think so. The breaking news. I mean, not, not, don't panic, David. <laughs> oh, no. Right. I was going to say, do I have to jump off the phone call? No. no. Well, maybe. No, I don't think so. Dinamo Moscow forward Vadim Shipashev has won the Golden Stick Award for KHL MVP. 20 goals, 47 assists in 57 games. Shippy! See, he should be in the See, KHL. I, I need to go right. <laughs> I, have to, I have to add to my notebook now. <laughs> uh, where it all began. Yeah, you know what, though? See, I'll, I'll tell a quick Shippy story. Like, you know... <laughs> Well, it's not even, no, I mean, can't can't spill the beans entirely. But, like, look, it's funny because I don't want to, like, stereotype here, but we've heard some a couple Russians, and, like, I thought it was funny, the story that came out about Kaprizov during the uh, the Minnesota series. Spitting Chicklets had, uh, I think, Felino on the, on the podcast, and he told a story about how, you know, during training camp, Kaprizov was all upset that he wasn't, you know, playing with the best players and all that sort of stuff. And, like, that was always Shippashov's deal was he just wanted it handed to him. And he didn't ever want to earn it. He didn't ever want to work for it. He just thought they signed me, they brought me over here, and I deserve to be the top-line center. And, you know, well, he, and I, he, we've talked he, about you it know, you know what it, you know what it was, though? He said, well, it doesn't work that way here, dude. No, it, it, it doesn't work that way here for the most part. But you know what? 
it couldn't have been a worse landing spot because you brought all these guys in that had been cast away and everybody was working towards something. And he and like you said, everybody else, you're trying to send a message to all these guys, you know, prove it to me, prove it to the team that let you go, and this guy wanted it handed to him, and that didn't mix with the culture they were trying to build. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that was probably one of the best moves in, in retrospect when you think back at the success that they had, you know, that year. I think that was probably the first step in it in terms of just the bonding and the team coming together and, you know, not not necessarily like pushing him out, but, you know, realizing, look, the, the way that this guy is doing it is not the way that we want to do it here, you know? And then once once he was gone, it just, it did seem like everybody meshed. There was this element of, you know, this big rush and he was supposed to be so good and I don't think he impressed anybody. And they were like, well, what's the big deal about this guy? And, you know, and he's not working. So chemistry-wise, I think that was maybe maybe one of the best things that ever happened in the Knights, to be quite honest. Hey, I wanted to get your take on this. By the way, be prepared for this to last. The NFL said, you know, no reporters in locker rooms and Zoom world's going to continue. Rest assured that's what's going to happen next year in the NHL, unfortunately. But that's probably what's going to happen. But Cassidy, after the, I want to get your take on this. Cassidy, after the Bruins game last night, he swings at it, gets fined twenty five large. We'll see if it's the best twenty five thousand the guy ever spent to see if it gets him an extra call or two in Game Six on the island. What do you make of Cassidy chirping the refs in that Bruins Islanders series? How did Pete DeVore avoid a fine? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Uh huh. I mean. He- flat out called it a soft call and said that they were fooled and all of that. So they've been embellishing. Like, I don't know. I guess he figured out a way to word it perfectly to uh, to avoid it. Maybe he should have made a, a reference to like an old lacrosse team or whatever uh, Bruce Cassidy did with the New York Saints. That's pretty good. I'll tell you this. If I, like, they have to, if the Coliseum, Coliseum isn't filled with like I don't know the correct term, but like Pope hats. And if they don't start like a let's go Saints chant and all that. All the fans should show up with halos on. Yeah, just something. Like buy, like lean into it. Like I guess that's what the the phrase the kids use now. Like if if they don't lean into that and just, you know, go for it. But that's what, you know what, I'll say this. That's I love that stuff about the playoffs. Um, When those, you know, when those coaches are willing to like, have a great soundbite like that and sort of make the series about something, you know, I, I love, I love when that happens. Like, so one thing I've been waiting for with this, with this series, it was sort of a little bit when, when DeBoer was kind of complaining, but he never really fully like, like went head first with it. Like Cassidy seemed to, uh, but yeah, I always love that stuff. Like stick up for your team and, you know, I mean, he tried to be respectful about it and said, you know, they've got a, you know, quality organization and quality people. But yeah, I mean, he's trying to fight for his guys that are down three two at this point. It's interesting. Could you imagine, though? Let's see what happens. But could you imagine this series goes seven, and Kadri shows up? Does 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 Kadri go box or rocks and do something stupid in a game seven? Who'd ever sign him again? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. I just wonder I think how like Mike was talking about the 
No, go ahead, Stevie. I, I'm just going to say it, it's, a, it's a flip of the coin as to what you get, right? There, there could be absolutely no chemistry because he hasn't played with them for eight games. Or, you know, he, he, could, uh, he could add something to the offense. I, I, I don't think you know for sure what you get if he comes in in game seven. Yeah, I mean, like Mike, when, when he called in earlier, you know, was talking about, I mean, there's going to be a boost. You would think there's just going to be an emotional boost. If nothing else, like, you know, when his name is announced or, you know, they, they show him on the scoreboard or something like that in warm-ups, I mean, people are going to get, you know, all fired up. There's just going to be sort of that emotional, you know, jolt that comes comes to it. Uh, like I said, I don't feel like it, it's going to be as significant as, you know, when Patrick came back for Game 7. But I do think it would have an effect. I mean, you wonder, you know, if that would be enough to put them over the top in that situation. I don't know. I mean, you'd think the guy would be smart enough to not go, like, complete cement head in, you know, a game seven. I don't think he is that smart. He's been around the league long enough. I mean, yeah, he walks the line a little bit, but... You know, the benefit of the doubt, I guess. We started. (laughs) I'll try. Yeah. We started the show with your, you know, Dave Shane's excellent adventure getting in there. (laughs) I'm curious, not to put the cart before the horse, but if Vegas were to win this series, what do you think, seriously, on the Montreal thing, uh, the teams can go up there. Have have there been any indication of how this would – they're given an exemption for the team to go up there and play. What about media? I mean, you know, passports and all that stuff, but I mean, but that's no no big deal. But dealing with the border and the COVID thing, and has has the league said anything to the media, American media, be it you or the guys from Denver that would have to go up there? Have you gotten wind of anything? No. Uh, And I – I don't know how much I can really say. Okay, um, sorry. <laughs> well, no, no, I only... It's, I didn't mean to put you in a bad spot. I'm, I'm just curious. I no, mean, it's not. I just, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what what other people are comfortable with being public. Let's just, I'll just say this, that I know the PHWA, which is the Professional Hockey Writers Association, um, that the majority of us belong to, um, has been at least like talking to the NHL or just trying to work something out. Um, but there's been no word official from, from I guess, what you would say is our reps. I don't think there's, there's certainly been nothing official right. you know, from the league. Well, that's, that's, why, the well, that's I, why I asked, because I mean, they've been, from, they're I've barely getting the people. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, that's why I asked. I mean, they're barely getting the teams there, and I'm just wondering how they're going to get the media to go up there. What, what if it's the final, you know, and you want to get all the media to get up there? Yeah, I and I think the problem is it's a border issue. Uh, we're not necessarily dealing with like prevent. You know, we got to get across the border first. You know, and then do all that, and then it's you know, is there a quarantine? Or if I show that I've been fully vaccinated, like what does that get me? Um, you know, does that help? Does that you know mean book kiss to them? 20, I don't know. Twenty percent of poutine. Yeah, maybe. Uh, which you know. <laughs> I'd be willing to do that. <laughs> um, cheese curds are darn good. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to see. Um, certainly, you know, from the RJ standpoint, we'd obviously love to go. Uh, I would love to be there. I mean, Montreal for a playoff series like that would be awesome. I, you know, I don't know. I heard a couple things, you know, maybe a possibility of this or that or the other that, 
Um, I'm probably not real comfortable talking about. No, that's fine. I'm sorry. Again, I didn't mean to drop a bowling ball on you, but I'm just I'm sitting there, curious minds going, well, they, they're barely getting the teams there, but yeah, what about teams that want to go up there and cover this thing? And there were problems with media getting up to the bubble last year. I mean, yeah, you know, it's right. a, it's it's some, not an it's not an easy thing. Yeah, it's not an easy thing. Right. All right. What do you what do you think so. tonight? You got to. What do you think? I, I think I mean, a lot think better effort from Colorado. That's for sure. Yeah, my gut. My gut tells me Colorado wins this game. I, I like I said, I when I looked into my crystal ball for whatever reason, something was telling me Vegas wins this thing in seven. So I, I think, I think Colorado holds serve tonight. I think the Knights win six, and then we come back here and flip a coin. It's been pretty riveting. I, I think the easy thought process. Game one, a blowout. Game four, for the most part, pretty convincing win. Games two and three were pretty wild. I think we're looking at something akin to what we saw in games two and three. Yeah, I would expect that. I just think, you know, I'm glad this series, especially after the first two games, is at least going to go six. We, 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 there's been so much buildup for this, for this thing for a couple years. So at least we get, yep. you know, Teams holding serve, and, and now it's the you know two or three, and you know let's see who's standing at the end. But it feels like we're getting a worthy series, and not Amen. you know something lopsided, which we look like might have been a possibility early on. David Shane from the Review Journal, our dear friend, great job covering this. Thank you for doing this. Enjoy the game tonight, but we'll see you when you get back. Thanks for having me on. Good He's to our talk pal. To you guys, as always. Great stuff, Dave Shane. Thank you. Hey, hockey watch party tonight. Game five watch party. Club Madrid Sunset Station. Get out. Great prizes. Great atmosphere. Great room. Adam S. Cutner on Twitter. You can win tickets to a future Golden Knights game. John Smith subs. Mention the hat trick special. 20% off a sandwich, fries, and a drink. And when they're back home, Terrible Herbs. Spin that wheel at Terrible Herbs on Thursday. Stevie, this is going to be fun tonight, my good friend. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to Dave's on the road books. (laughs) Like a tabletop. Pop-up thing. It'd be great reading. Money to be made, boys. All right. Hey, TC Ballpark, the boys are coming up next. Hope to see you tonight for the watch party at Sunset Station.